Podcasting with Kerry Jones. Hi guys and welcome to this week's podcast. This weekend I'm travelling over to Ireland for a few weeks, so I'll be meeting up with some friends to record my upcoming podcasts. So to get us into the spirit, this episode I've put together excerpts of all the Irish episodes and guests to date, including some funny stories from across the land, from Corrib, Con, Sheelin, Karan, Ern and plenty of others. While I'm there, you can follow me on my travels around Ireland with updates on my Patreon page. Something which I enjoy at the end of every chat I have with uh, with my guests is the question, where would you want to be to make your last cast? And I get asked it so many times, to be honest, when I'm out and about. Well, maybe one day I'll tell you where my last cast is going to be. But I've included one, which is probably my favourite of them all, for a poignant last cast so so when I'm over if you know anyone who'd like to hear as a guest give us a shout but in the meantime pull up a chair and join me for a glass and enjoy episode 28 Mark Regan oh they were the, the early spring fishermen my dad used to tell me about those in the carb and they went out in the one man punt and they were commercial fishing. They were the fish were sent from Uderard by uh, by bus or train. There was a train that time, and they were in Billingsgate two days later. And they they kept you know those fishermen. That was their job. And then later in the year in May and everything, they took out the rich gentry, yeah. killing them. But when they did the spring fishing, Dad was saying they sometimes slept underneath the punts. So you can imagine in February how, you know, I mean, we've got all our modern Gorgeous clothing and everything now. They probably had, you know, oiled cloth to keep something they were in. Yeah. Rowing these punts with three hazel rods. So they were extraordinarily skillful keeping the three rods going. They took the line in by hand. They had a net to net the fish. And they sometimes slept underneath that punt under on a, in a bag of, wow. with a bag of straw to keep them warm. So they were pretty phenomenal. And they knew the lake really, really well. You know, they had to know it. And uh, if they caught a perch or something like that, they would eat it and fight, but they never ate the trout because they were too valuable. Yeah. So as I said, and I believe that the trout from Ballandiff Bay documented that in Billingsgate, you got a bigger price for them because like what you were saying earlier, they were the really short, deep, fat fish and they were really pink-fleshed. Yeah. And if they could get them from there, sometimes they actually rode down. Now that's a good row from, you know, Boudreard to Anna Down. They must um, have had arms up. like cow's legs. Oh, they must have been unbelievable men, really, you know. Just even, just to manage the boat that day, you know. I suppose they just did it steadily and consistently. And they're small boats, you know. And yeah. If there's any kind of a big wave at all, you, it's like being in a kayak. You really need to know what you're doing. And there's a few people still use them today and just do a little bit of it just to keep the tradition alive. 62, Colin Fallen. And then I brought my man up on top of the falls and... Look, there's probably another 40 or 50 fish in the pool below the falls. And he fished for an hour and a half. 
he started off with your with your standard size tens and size twelves, uh, doubles and stuff like that, and then he he moved down to uh, to smaller flies, uh, flashier and you know fishing fourteens and sixteens. So he fished he fished for an hour and a half. So not a pull, uh, nothing. The salmon were jumping over his fly line and. Uh, the language out of him now, you, you you wouldn't hear it out of a docker, uh, what was coming out of his mouth. Yeah. And after an hour and a half, I says to him, I says, uh, I says, Deccan, I says, uh, they're not going to, he, he kept saying to me, what fly will I pick next? And, you know, I just tell him, oh, you put this on now and put that on now. And after an hour and a half, you know, he he handed me the fly box and he says, what will I put on there? And I says, they're not going to take Anton in that box, I said to him. And he, he looked. At, he looked at me. His, his jaw dropped, and he says, uh, "I fucking bought this box of flies off you." He says to me, "You know." <laughs> so I says, "I know." I says, "But you're going to have to. You're going to have to step outside the box here now." So, sixty-nine, Julie McKeever. Story of the Archbishop and the uh, drunken Gilly. Yeah. I mean. The the whole thing was, I really didn't, I'd never been out fishing. I'd never been on the lakes. And I mean, I was busy getting started with, you know, at the hotel and running a hotel. Um, and then one night he said to me after dinner, he, you know, very quiet man over dinner. And he said, you know, I think it'd be a very good idea, Julie, if uh, you came out on the lake to know what your guests are doing. So Julie took off the next day and went into uh well, I don't know, a renowned angling shop in, in Ballina and got fitted for new big PVC waders and I must have got a rod and all that as well. So off we went and um, he, always, he used to employ for the whole month while he, over the weeks he was there two particularly well-known gillies and they were brothers. Yeah. But there was one thing that they were well-known for also, <laughs> they were seldom sober. <laughs> and, you know, it's something you don't ever happen now but it was, you know, 30 odd years ago, yeah. But I always think that whoever was in the best part of sobriety on the day went out with the good bishop on the day. So we went out anyway, and um, I'd say probably after the first or second cast, I had, the side came straight back and caught me in the, the knee, I always remember the knee of the wagers. And the gilly got, spent his afternoon on his knees in front of me trying to take out the fly <laughs> out of my wagers. And I can actually still remember the fumes of the, you get stale alcohol right. space. But the bishop is sitting up there in the bow of the boat with a curly pipe and he used to wear a tweed cap, you know, the, the Irish tweed cap sold yeah. was on him. And but he always had the collar underneath his jacket, believe it or not, and he giggling away. Sixty four, my Corrib. In fact I was trolling I was in the day. And uh, I hooked and lost a good fish. Yeah, so I, I had no luck. So I, I went in to get some lunch. And on this particular day, I didn't have any um, fry-up stuff for, uh, for my kettle or nothing. So I just had, like, I think it was just, just a Mars bar. And uh, I had a flask, mate. I pulled my boat up into an area. It's it's quite, um, it's the, the bay itself in, it is in the, on the island is quite shallow. But if you go round the corner... It sort of deepens off. So what I did, I just moored the boat, just pushed the boat up on this like slightly steeper, steeper area. And um, so instead of actually getting out onto the shore then, I just wedged the boat up a little bit and uh, I just sat on the bow 
had my coffee, which I had in the flask, and a Mars bar. And I was sitting there just eating my Mars bar. Next thing, right in front of me, probably 10 foot from the engine, I saw a rise. So I, I watched. I saw another rise. Another rise. And all of a sudden, I can see there's a little bit of breeze going from left to right. And I just watched. And this is something which I never do. If I'm trolling, I'll never have a fly rod. I'm either trolling or I'm fly fishing. This particular day, I had my fly rod, not set up, just just in the bag, in the bow with the board, just behind me. And uh, on my waistcoat, not, not only fly gear even, just the waistcoat, where I had a floating line, and there's a couple of, couple of um, flies. And I watched now, and it was like a flotilla of mayfly coming off. And they were all, all close distance, all along. I was looking at the shore. All these fish were on about 10 yards out, maybe closer in. And I was, I was just looking. I was fumbling now, you can imagine. Because these hatches sometimes are freak incidences. They, they don't happen very often. And I was watching these fish coming up, taking these fly. And then I thought, right, so I was fumbling now, excited. Got my, I actually stepped out of the boat then, not to make too much noise. And then I put the fly rod up, and then I walked up the shore then, about, I don't know, 30 yards, 40 yards. And the idea was me to cover these fish, walking back towards the boat, and it was just one of those right place, right time. And I covered the fish, and nothing happened. Then I cast up again, there was a little dimple, bang, into this fish. And he was seven and a half pound, and he was unreal, on the shore, and uh, it, it was just. Uh, and in fact, I'll, I've got a photograph which I put up in the, um, which you will see to go with this uh, podcast, and um, it was beautiful. It, it was it was so so good, and I actually kept this one for the smoker, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I wanted to give some to a good friend of mine as well. Sixteen, Dennis Cronin. There's lots of lakes and locks. I've got, um, you know, these these old buildings and huts and monasteries. You know, obviously you've got the Carib and you've got Karan, wasn't it? Oh, Karan. Well, that's the one, that's right, that's right. There's one there on Church Island. Church there's Island, Church Island yeah. Over in the middle of the lake, yeah. We fished that. Was, uh, we fished that a few oh, years ago, fished, didn't we? We fished that, yes. We had good fun there. I and remember. I had great fun subsequently, you know, with my big trout. Oh, what big trout was that? What was it? I have a lovely big trout there on my on my Facebook profile. All right, that's the 10 pounds. The 10 pound sea trout from La Coran. Um, wow. Now, I have to say, it has caused some controversy. And I, have, <laughs> I know what you're going to say. I've never claimed that I caught it. I just put it up on the photo. Well, it looks but a good. Friend of mine, a friend of mine caught it, and I said, would you take a picture with me and the fish? And he said, yes, with my camera. And I immediately put it as my Facebook profile. And uh, I got, what you might say, a little bit of abuse subsequently <laughs> from well, my good friend John Buckley, who caught the fish. How so did he? So official now, was he caught the fish? Yeah. And that was from Koran, was it? Yeah. That was in Koran, yeah. I thought it was, because I looked at the picture, and it was that area where you get the boats where we set That's up right. from. There's like a, like a causeway yeah, almost. You, you, you you took a picture of those boats, and it's kind of has appeared on a numerous occasions since on different. Yeah, boats. it was a lovely morning. Yeah, yeah, it was a lovely morning. Yeah, 
Well, see, lovely. It was it, it was calm, and then we thought, oh. Because the sword fishing, which was a lovely picture. No, but literally, in about come lunchtime, I because I was on the boat with John, John Buckley, and you yeah. were with Michael Hennessy. That's right. We had a lot of fish that day. Nothing huge, but they, yeah, were, yeah. they were like pound a pound and a half, but we had lots yeah. of them. And it just came one of those days where you can't go wrong. And it was great sport. One of those days, yeah. What we call juniors, right? They come in around June, the smaller fish, and that's the time. But... And you know, while we went out, we fished well up the lake. I'm not sure if it was like a storm force 10. And I thought, and even I started to get, Oh, this is a little bit too much. Not only are you getting the yeah. big troughs and the rollers, you were getting like white tops in the water. It was like a bit of both. I was like, my stomach started to go once or twice, just motoring across the waves. And then, it must have been about lunchtime then, Steve was looking at me and thinking, I don't think we better fish this. We did not. I think we might have had one or two. One thing I did notice, I've never seen it since, right? I don't know if it's because of the landed terrain around there. There was like, a water um, tornado come up from That's the right. lake, right? And it was about 20 foot tall. And it was spinning round, lifting up from the lake. And I thought, oh, oh, that's it. And that was a turning point then. You know, but yeah. it was quite a sight. I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah, well, we see that regularly, but we don't go out in the lake when they're there, but they're the worst boats, yeah. You get them because there's two. You have the, the black belly of the linear side over one side uh, coming over the black belly, and you have um, a gap of the low on the other end of the lake, and I suppose where the winds meet, they spin, and you you can get you can get see twenty of them sometimes in the day. But you would be out fishing, you'll be you'll be just looking from the shoreline. But they're yeah. fantastic, fantastic to see. Yeah, well, you see them. You see them in the even in Gugan Barra, the little lake that I fished there the last day of the season. You'd see them. They are small ones, but they, you'd see them because of the mountains twist the wind. You know. They, they they change the wind direction and it, it makes these worse boats. You know, so they're fantastic to see, but dangerous to be out in. I got cut. I got cut myself one time out in them, but I just waited and sat in the shoreline and had a coffee and waited and waited and then went when I got a break as fast as I could. Went in. Well, big lakes you have to be careful, like the west and Killarney is big enough. Well, Killarney is affected by the mountains, so you just have to be careful. You have to know the, the weather. Thirty, John Buckley. Something I learned early on that when you're fishing for these small trouts, they lightning quick and they, you know, you get a quick yes. and you feel the tug and it's gone. So after a while, you're getting fine tuned and you're like in the zone and you're waiting for any sort of disturbance, the line or tweak or pull, and you strike and you're getting quite confident. And you know, th- these fish are coming now and yep. you're doing all right, but every now and again, then you're lightning quick, the line goes and you strike. And as you strike then, you'll see like a, a five or six pound grills just swim away like, and you've just, yeah. you haven't given enough time like, you know. And that's why at the end of my really? podcast, I, I got a bit of a line that said, don't strike too soon. And that's the reason. Yeah, but you, you're 100% right. <coughs> and I can completely relate to what you're saying. Is uh, Because the, 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 we, we meet plenty of small fish, and they're, they're lightning quick. You're, you're, like you said, you're in the zone. You're, you're ready every cast. You're ready for the fish. The one thing you need when you're fishing for salmon, is patience. You know, you got to leave them turned over that fly. You know, it's salmon will come up and just snap it like a trout will, but the majority of the time, they'll give a swirl under it, sip it down, and the hardest thing to do is strike. Uh, sorry, the hardest thing not to do is strike. Yeah. You know, every, every every instinct you have is lift, is, is telling you to lift the rod. 
you know, now there's areas on that lake and, and all the lakes in Killarney where we will specifically target salmon with the flies because we've, we, we, we've been doing that over the years, you know, in, in, separate, in, in different areas, we know we need to slow down. You know, you're, 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 we've hit that certain point to target the salmon. So if a trout comes up, you know, you kind of switch that right. You, you, you live to, to fight another day with no interest in you, so you don't really care. So, you know, you, you have actually tuned in to, 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 to hit and um, hook and that salmon. You know, so you, you do slow down. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, again, it's like every person I've ever fished out of water to make a salmon. Nine times out of ten, they'll always lose the boat. 45, James Barry. One good fish uh, in the morning. We got up at, you know, silly o'clock, 4 a.m., I think, and yeah. we headed out. Um, there's actually a funny story behind it. The engine wouldn't start on the boat. So uh, oh. you obviously get get down to your boat. You're ready to go. You're looking out on the lake. And uh, we go to pull the engine. No, no go out of the engine. So we, um, I was just annoyed over the top of the boat. And my friend that was with me, Jason, said, oh, look, I'll just row us over to this bay. And um, we'll, we'll give it a go. And at this stage, I was sitting up top. I was just annoyed. The engine not working. Yeah. <laughs> um, ready to go back to the B&B and just say, that's it enough of this but uh, Jason thankfully and we rode us over to the little bay and as we're approaching we're probably 100 yards out we could just see well I could see I was sitting up the top we could see this fish just sitting behind an island and I shout back Jason says yeah I think I think I see something here yeah. and uh, sure enough we kind of rode up onto this island really nice and stealthy actually now that I look back at it it probably, probably helped us a bit with the engine didn't start yeah. and um, it's just sipping away sipping away and uh, I just set up the fly, uh, waited for the fish to come up. Uh, textbook stuff, you know, just drop the fly beside where he came up. And sure enough, he just came up and had it. And uh, yeah, then all hell broke loose. It was just uh, almighty battle. And he was just oh, such a such a pretty fish. Um, oh. And yeah, definitely, definitely one I won't forget in a while. Just uh, great, great buzz. Just uh, food for the fly fishing soul up there in Mayfly time. It's great, great fun. Yeah. Well, it must have been... Yeah. Um a blessing, really, that the engine didn't work. That's it, you know. Uh, everything, you know, all Looking these things for happen for a reason, as they say. Yeah. Did you get yeah, it to work so after? We were, yeah, I, I kind of, I was messaging so I, Jason saying that all I need is a bit of sunshine on the engine there, it will heat it up a bit. Uh, and uh, sure enough, when the sun came up and hit it, it was uh, it was fine. One turn of the engine that started, and we we headed off then. But we actually didn't catch that for the rest of the morning. Feel free to visit my online shop on my website, where you will find a selection of my most popular Irish sign prints, plus a choice of ghillie kettles and cooking accessories. Or if you would like to experience one of my guiding and instruction packages, feel free to message me. Or again, take a look at my tuition and guiding page at castingkerryjones.com. 66. Jackie Mahan. Like, I mean... I just won't go out throw something into a pot. I go out, I'll, I'll wash it, make sure yeah. that, that grease is off it, and I'll stand there, make sure the colour is right. I think, I think the colours, the Irish colours, there's nothing like it in the whole oh, whole no. world. If you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and you know, and that's that's basically, you know, we we, you know, I I just think the colours are just something. It, it, it makes a difference to a fly as well, Terry. You know. A lot yeah. of people will be saying to me, "Is can I have that dressing for that fly?" I, you know, half the time I can't say to them, "Listen, I can't give you the dressing because you won't have it," no. <laughs> and they won't have it. 
you know? No. And that's the one thing with, the, with, with, with a person dying his own materials. It's very hard to explain to people that what I have, even what I die today, is totally going to be totally different than what Tony O'Sullivan has in Cork. Yeah. Because it's to do with the water as well. My water is more boggy here, so oh, I'm nice. going to get a different colour than... I'm going to get a different colour what, than what Tony has because he'd, he'd be more mineral in his water, if you know what I mean, down in Cork. Yeah. Where I have... Come, my water's coming from an actual bog, coming down from the Ben and down through the bog. So my water quality will be different than Tony's. And that makes a difference with the dye-in as well. Back to your question, Tony's colours, it will be different than my colours, if you know what I mean as well. Yeah. And... You know, Tony often sends me colours. I often send Tony colours because the, the colours are just totally different. Yeah. And the work that goes, the work that goes in with a curry is just, but I, it's worth it. It's worth yeah. it. It's absolutely worth it. I suppose it's meticulous as well. If you want to reproduce a colour which you had done previously, it's not just a case you got to remember. I guess you got to write everything down, have you? I have everything written down. I have a book here belonged to my grandfather. I started making my own dyes. Um. Uh, there recently, I put a clip I think up yesterday of um, of, of, of a colour. I, I want to get more into that. I'm looking to do more of that. To be honest with you, Curry, for next year, uh, it's just amazing, like the different between seaweeds, uh, different times of year to go and, uh, and to lift that seaweed after a heavy frost or a storm. Yeah. It's just different things. Even even magenta, like done with blue bottles, boiling blue bottles to get magenta. You boil know, a, it's just different blue, things. Why blue bottles? Actually, blue bottles to get magenta, you know? Well, the blue, blue bottles. bottles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just to get different colours. Adding even even down to roots of, of, of some flowers and putting the actual roots in and boiling it. Yeah, and I definitely want to get more and more into that end of it. 67, Dominic McCarrigan. I had the heaviest fish, uh, just over, just over four pound. I think it was. Got that fish on the qualifying day as well, which was good. It was out. I was partnered with uh, John Somerville. I know you mentioned John in one of your other, yeah. one of the other podcasts. I was partnered with John, and Noel Warren was boating, and it was. There was a nice, a nice wind on the lake. It was a real nice wind, and it was blowing in the car. And we went down, and Noel, Noel is a lovely wooden boat, um, a, cl- a clinker boat, and it does drift. It does drift like a dream. There's nice. no doubt about it. It, I it, love it drifts like boats. a dream. Yeah. So we went in, and we were, we were fishing, fishing off, not not deep deep water, but fishing off marginally deep water into shallows, and um, came into a, a, a small inlet at Cahar Bay, and. I put the fly in, I was pulling away and chatting, and the next thing just came up on the hang, and oh, this lad just came out of the water, and the lovely head and tail over the bob fly. <laughs> I just took it and let him down and let him down. Like the, the thing about that water was that clear, you could see the fish going down and down at the fly, and just lift it into him. And oh, the, the fight took off, and I was playing away at him. And um, of course, then John was fishing the other side of the boat he was fishing away and fishing away and my fish was steaming out the front of the boat here and John was pulling away and the next thing I just looked with the corner of my eye and of course there was obviously two fish laying in there the comrade 
came up and went for John's flyover, big head and tail over it, and missed it. So that, that, that was the two fish were sitting in there. It must have been a pair of fish wow. that, were, that were hanging about in there. So John fished for a little bit, didn't get it. So fair play, he quit fishing when he seen that I was in a pretty good fish. He quit fishing, no one got on the oars. And, but between the three of us, we got all done and got him directed around the rocks and into the net. And then that was, I, I won the heat that day. Um, I, I can't even remember what the prize was for winning the heat. So then, of course, that carries on then for the heaviest fish for the whole of the competition. That was maybe the Wednesday. It was my qualifying day. The Saturday then, it blew up. Blew, blew really, really hard. So the, the qualifying days then were cancelled. Or maybe it was the final was cancelled and it had to be rescheduled. So you were sort of checking every day and the sweat was on because you were the, you were the heaviest fish and you were phone. Was there anything big got today? You know, was there anything yeah. big got today? But yeah, I came out of that in the end. So I end up, I think I had crystal trophy and a thousand euros plus whatever the the winning of the heat got me. I, I can't remember yeah. that. Yeah, so it was, look, the, the thing is, it leaves you, you can fish competition free for a bit then. So you can, you know, you're, yeah, yeah. you're not paying anything. You're, it's, it's profited at that stage, which is good. Will your wife be listening to this podcast? Because then you tell her it's £250 you are. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what I told her. I said, ah, that's that two hundred and fifty pounds, so she should be out in diesel." <laughs> Forty-two, Neil Darling. I've got very fond memories of of fishing camping trips to Fermanagh uh, with Dad, using the old canvas tent that him and his 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 dad, granddad, would have used in in their sort of fishing trips. Brilliant. Um, and. I can, I can remember thinking as a kid it was more akin to a circus tent really than a, a sort of a tent <laughs> with good take camp and it was a, a huge thing um, and uh, you know it had it seen, seen better days it had had a fair few trips to Scotland I think with, with Granny and Grandad as well so um, yeah that was all adventures in its own right and um, you know the dad during a, a heavy, heavy fall of rain one night decided that germaline the sort of bacterial cream was a great way of stopping the water coming in and of course as soon as he touched the tent and the tent side it, it sort of flooded in after that so you know there's, there's oh. memories like that through and you know trips to we used to stay in a place called the willow pantry bed and breakfast in in Enniskillen. one of one of the lasting memories of that is the ulster fry breakfast that you used to get every morning it was like I don't know, you, it, an English breakfast on steroids, I think. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you were guaranteed at least sort of three types of bread, fried bread, soda bread and potato bread and all the usual sausage and egg. And so that, that sets you up for the day's fishing. Um, yeah. There was no, no lunch needed after that. 81, Peter Boyle. I was fishing a competition on it back oh, a good number of years ago. And I was partnered with this guy, and I had um, I had a green peter on the tail, and I had a bibio on the top dropper, and I was bringing the flies in through. Just you're talking about stories, and I was bringing the fly in through the waves, and mixing this lovely song and come up and he took the bibio on. I knew he wasn't that well hooked, you know, yeah. and I played him, and I kind of played him a wee bit harder than I should have, and just as the sun had come to the boat, he started jumping, and so he started jumping. I stuck the net in, and I said, "I'll get him into the net." And oh, he just went bananas. He went aerial, and next thing he jumped up in front of me, and I could see the fly going one way and the trout going the other way. And that was it, the trout was gone. And I says, Oh, 
here. I wouldn't even like to say what I said. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> your, man, your man in the front of the boat, then he started telling me how we should have done it, you know. And I said, listen, not worry, it's done, it's done, he's gone, he's gone. And I said, well, get out and get another one. And as I pulled the net in here, the fish had swam <laughs> into the net. <laughs> oh. I swear to God, it, it must have been when the trout jumped and he hit the water, he must have went to swim underneath the boat looking for shelter. And Jeez. when he swam underneath the boat, he swam into the net. And you're talking about the rack they had with that guy in the boat. He was telling me that I, sh- I wasn't allowed to wade in. <laughs> wow. I mean, you couldn't, you can't wade in. And I said, here, just, you just watch me wade it in. <laughs> Imagine, you know. What well, the chances of that ever happened? make that up, could you? I know, uh, but I'll, t- I'll tell you now, I'll tell you about the one that happened. It happened me and me. 78, Keith McDonough. When you actually fish these articulated lures then in Kylemore and other venues where you fish, do you fish off a drifting yeah. boat? Do you fish it, or do you anchor? Or do you look for areas? Or how exactly would you fish? You wouldn't fish it like Loch Island, I suppose, do you? You you can fish it Loch Island, but the problem is that um, you want to get down a little bit more than you would with conventional fly. I feel uh, on the lakes, and uh, I think what works well is. To, to bring the boat uh, nose down in the wind and and work along um, drop-offs. Like yeah, we yeah. find, we find those fish on sharp drop-offs hanging on the, the edge of them uh, on that lake. So work, working along, so you're casting out the side of the boat and then retrieving. And it, what that means is that you get the belly in the fly line. Yeah. And you know, you're not trying to fight to catch up with the fly, if you know what I mean, when you're influenced by the, the wind. But the funny thing about that lake, right, and part of it is that some of those trout are just, they, there's no real fishing pressure on them. No. So they're, they're, they're relatively eager. Um, but the funny thing about it is some of the really good days where we've got a few fish have been on a flat can when the small trout are up dimpling on the surface and the, the bigger guys are, are below taking them off. Um, so that's kind of in contrast to what I've experienced on the river because I often find on the river that the best days are, are the really um, rough days, you know, overcast or lashing rain or windy whereas um, those bigger guys on there they, you know it seemed to be that they were up taking the small trout yeah, yeah. well they were copping them up when we caught them anyway so, you know, that was the kind of theory 48, my Corrib record my story and all of this time your stomach is in knots with the excitement and the adrenaline because you really don't want this fish to come off. And I did, as I said previously, I hooked the fish the year, two years before, and it, it was a big, it was a record sized fish that he came off. And I'd start to myself, I don't want to go through that again. The first fish was going to come off, I was going to just step over the side. So anyway, I played this fish, and it looked like now, it was just over the hour. She was ready for the net. So, again, if you can imagine now, you're in the boat, 
the fish is behind you, you're facing the wind, and you're drifting away from the fish, which is quite difficult. But And then you're down in a trough and up. So I had my big net out, had it over the side, and she came to the surface on her side, and she would just come into the net. And as I, she came into the net, the trough, the way the wind was, blew the boat up into like the crest of the wave. And the fish slipped out and back in. You can imagine what I felt. The fish was half in the net and she just slid back in. And at this point I'm thinking, I was so lucky because I could see the bait and the hooks was inside the mouth. If it had been outside on the jaws, as she slid out at the edge of the net, a good chance the hooks would have been stuck in the net and then inevitable would happen. She would have come off. Another 10 minutes passed now. And if you can imagine, I know the size of the fish now. I've seen the size of the fish. And I still haven't got it in. So, like I said, about another 10 minutes passed now. And she came up to the surface again. I slipped my net under this time, clean as a whistle, lifted the net. And that was it. I didn't just lift her in straight away. I was so shattered, mentally as well as physically. Hour and a quarter that fish would be on. So I held the net at the end of the gunnels for like two minutes. It seemed like a lifetime. Just looked over the side, see the fish there. Lift it then. One heave into the boat. And I could see then that this was the record. 18. Colin Fallen. I was... Uh I was Gillian on Banner Hinch for the first week in July uh, for a fella called Don Cardell. He was Cardell's cigarette. I was Don's gilly and always the first seven days in July was, was, you know, year on, year off. That was always with Don. And sometimes he'd have a guest with him for the week. And this time he had a guest, fella from Belgium, now lad from Belgium. So anyway, well, three days into the fishing, we were fishing uh, beat one in Banner Hinch and we were fishing on the far bank and... And the near bank, there's all rushes and reeds. And he hooked a, a fish about five or six pounds. And the fish kept, you know, trying to run into the, the, the rushes on him, you know. And I kept saying to my sister, I said, don't, don't let him in there. I said, don't let, pull him out, but pull him out. And he wasn't stopping the fish at all. And uh, was it a trash of the fish went, no, it was a, a grilled salmon. Yeah. The fish went straight into the reeds anyway. I said, you're fucking idiot. I said, I told you not to let him into the, the reeds. <laughs> And sure, the, the fly, the, we lost the fly as well, which kind of really annoyed me because I only had the one of it and it was working very well that week. So I had to break, I had to snap the line anyway and got it back. So I finished up with them on the, the Friday and I knew they were going to to dinner in Roundstone, into O'Dowd's restaurant in, in Roundstone. You were actually in there with me one yeah, time. Yeah, I remember, yeah. Chowder. You had a liquid so anyway, lunch as well, I think. Lunch. Do you see how I start? We had chowder and uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so what happened was uh, I I drove back to Galway after doing seven days work with them and I was emptying out my car and lo and behold Yamano's fishing bag was in in the boot of my car the Belgian fella yeah yeah uh, like you want to see all the, the hardy reels he had and boxes of fully dressed salmon flies and this that and the other like this was this was 
fifty grand worth of stuff now in his in his uh, bag, like a big bag. So I said to myself, I can't be responsible for uh, shipping this back to Belgium. Like I, I, I hardly even knew his name and stuff. So you forgot I it. Jump back in the forgot it. Yeah, it was in my car. I jumped back in the car anyway, and I drove back out to uh, Roundstone, which is about an hour and a half from from Galway. And I went into the restaurant and. I brought in the bag and there he was with Don and there was two other fellas, two kind of big heavies. And I, I said to myself, right, this makes sense now because I'd seen them two big fellas, you know, daily for the last week and stuff like that. You know what I mean? They were his bodyguards, right? right. So Don says, says to me, uh, you'll stay for dinner and you can stay in my house. That's brilliant uh, gesture what you're after doing there. And I said, well, thank you very much. I, I'll enjoy that. And he says, no, he says, Colin, I, I'll formally introduce you to the King of Belgium. He says, right, Albert, the King of Belgium. And I went, oh, hello. Uh, uh, how do I how do I refer to you? I says to him, you know, and he says, well, most people will call me uh, your majesty. He says, but I loved it when you called me a feckin' Egypt. So I'm, not, I'm not used to being called a feckin' Egypt, he says. Right, so I says, I've just called the King of Belgium a feckin' Egypt. So... That was, that was good, yeah. 32, Jimmy Terrell. Come to that time, I'm going to ask you a question, which yeah. I ask everyone. And you probably know what the question is going to be. Where would you want to be to make your last cast? On the River Gowell. It's just, it's paradise. And if you're ever over here, I'll take it and you'll see why it's just, it's a small river and it's, if you were out there on a summer's evening, you were in a different world. Because there's virtually nothing, only a farmhouse here or there every few miles. And it's paradise. Just you, the river, and hopefully a hatch of flies on it. And there's nothing better. I've had some of my nicest, nicest evenings on it. You could actually sit there for hours on a summer's evening, just looking at fish rising. There's, there's nothing nicer, actually. Just somewhere... There's, there's actually I'll, I'll, if you're ever over I'll take and show you there's, there's even a, uh, there's a weir in a certain part of it there's no houses near this there's a weir and there's a graveyard and I, I often said to myself it's a good luck to be buried there the graveyard is probably 200 yards off the river in the middle of nowhere a house at the graveyard it's just a paradise honestly paradise and I love it it's probably the nicest place to, that I've ever had to fish in my life. Like the fishing is so good in it and nobody fishes it. You kind of have it all for yourself. But you wouldn't see a footprint. To me that's that's nice. And over the years I've learned different lane ways to go down through through meeting farmers who don't even fish. And if you catch it if the fishing is good, take a fish home and drop it off on the doorstep on the way home and you're always welcome back little laneways where there's you know you've no access only only those laneways and you learn that they're there over the years nobody else would know that and sometimes you can drive in and park right on the edge of the river it's just laneways the farmer access access lanes for fields farmers that's how i learned all that river you'd nearly have it to yourself but again if the fishing is good catch keep a fish drop it on his doorstep on the way home and you'll always be welcome back. You'd be welcome if you didn't drop it anyway, but, yeah. the, you know, that to me is, it's home from home. 
nothing nicer. Awesome. But, well, yeah. hopefully we will meet up this year. Please God, everything will, everything will be calmer down then towards the summer. And if you're over, just give me a call. We'll look after you. I will do. I thoroughly enjoyed our chat. And hope to see you this year. I loved it. Thanks very much. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to listen to the full episodes, consider becoming a patron. Well, you'll get over 80 past episodes and weekly podcasts, plus photography and exclusive content. To join, visit patreon.com forward slash casting with Kelly Jones. Or see the link on my website, castingwithkellyjones.com. Well, that's all for now. Tight lines and don't strike too soon. <laughs> <laughs>